electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the best places to make money in 2021. Our committee and the street naming their top picks today which means we debate and discuss them. And joining me for the hour today are Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, John Najarian, and Tiffany McGee, the CEO and CIO at Pivotal Advisors. Welcome, everybody. Let's go to the wall, check to see where stocks are trading, bouncing back a little bit from the worst opening day in a number of years. Dow's good for 60, S&P by about 11, NASDAQ just shy of 60. And there's the Russell, the outperformer today, good for one and a third Percent. All right, Dr. J, I'm coming to you first. You've got energy leading today. You've got okay. Boeing. You've got Goldman. You've got Chevron, the best Dow performers. You have been among the more cautious committee members of late, selling down some positions that you had yep. and some very big names. And I look up today and I see that you have sold DocuSign. Tell me. Yep. Well, I, I think a lot of the uh, stocks, Scott, that did so well um, during the lockdown, they're tremendous stocks. DocuSign, Zoom, which Josh uh, made a great call on, Teladoc, all of these. I think they're great stocks, but I think a lot of them are going to have a hard time justifying their multiples, um, even in a time when people are just reaching for anything. So um, I took some profits in a number of those stocks, as you described, uh, being more cautious, put a bunch of that money into Bitcoin, was pretty happy about that trade. And as far as DocuSign, still believe in it, Scott. Still think this one goes, uh, you know, uh, does very well in the competitive space, mm -hmm. but don't think that the, it continues to get the sort of love that it and many of those stocks that I just named got last year. So for that reason, I decided, you know what? If I own this one again, I'll probably just own it through options rather than through stocks. So it's interesting to hear that, Doc. And, and Steph, this speaks, I think, to. Some of the, the underlying risk that, that's out there, you've got some election risk, right, because of what's happening down in Georgia. You have some vaccine risk because the slower rollout than expected. You've got a, maybe a larger number of people who are not taking the vaccine who are even eligible to do that. And then, as John just said, maybe you have some valuation risk as well. Some stocks just deemed to be too expensive. John sells DocuSign. Maybe some others are now taking stock, if you will, of, of you know, the kinds of names they have in that same stratosphere. So how do you put that all together? Well, it's sort of interesting. First and foremost, we always worry about something, right? And so I actually, we're, I'm the most concerned about the, the election and the short term. Um, I would be looking to buy any weakness if we get a blue wave versus what the market is expecting um, from the Georgia elections, which is the Republican win. Um, Repu the Republican win is a, is a good thing for investors because we've talked about it. It's gridlock. Not much gets done. A blue wave, it introduces uncertainty, more taxes, more regulation. Why I would be buying on the short term 
harm um, in, in, in that case, in that scenario, is because I don't know how much in terms of tax increases you're going to get in this COVID world, particularly if vaccines are getting delayed, right? That's number one. Number two, you're likely to get more stimulus. And number three, you're likely to get an infrastructure package. So you've got these puts and takes in a blue, uh, in a blue wave scenario, but I would be a buyer there. And as I would just mention, I think we've talked about this a lot, though, all the stimulus that got put in place last year, it takes about 10 to 12 months to flow into the economy, into the system. So we haven't really even begun to see the benefits. And I agree with Goldman's Costin that all this stimulus is going to lead to better GDP growth and better earnings growth. I do think a 30 percent S&P 500 earnings growth for 2021 is very realistic. And at the same time, I agree with Merrill Lynch in that you want to rotate. And so much of what John is doing, he's selling some of the high flyers. I actually, me too. I sold some Nike. I sold some UPS. I sold some Home Depot and DR Horton. And I'm looking for the laggards. And so I'm buying VF Corp and TJX and some semiconductor companies and some banks. So that's kind of what I'm doing as well. And I think John and I are probably saying the same thing, actually. Okay. So, you know, you, you reference yeah. Goldman's Costin, right? He goes to a 14% return for 2021 for equities. 4,300 is his number. Uh, Bank of America, Savita Sobermanian, the EPS <clears throat> going to be down, but S&P is going to be up 18%. So just, you know, so everybody knows what we're all on the same page. And as for, Josh, the election risk, which is front and center, Barclay said, well, the options market indicates investors are not particularly worried about it. And they tend to agree, even if the Democrats win both seats, gridlock is going to be the most likely outcome for the next few years. That is likely going to be good for the markets. You've laid out the case of late, a pretty positive one of the things that you've seen whether it's different areas of the market that were poised for a breakout, things that the, the widening breadth of, of the market. What about now, the, the here and now, about any concerns that you may have? So I'm, I'm investing for people with time horizons of anywhere from 20 to 70 years, like literally 20 to 70 years. So when I hear about what a blue wave will do to stocks this week, like, I kind of look at it, it's not a risk, it's an opportunity. I'm a buyer of stocks all year, so I'd rather buy them lower. So that's not actually a real risk. Could it introduce volatility, Scott? 100%. But so what? Because if we weren't worried about that, we'd be worried about some other thing. It's always going to be something. Stephanie made the, the accurate point. So I think what we want to be thinking about is not, oh, no, what happens if a blue wave? What do you buy if you have that volatility introduced because of an election? In my 20 plus years on the street, I've never met a successful investor who would who would chalk up his his or her success long term to betting accurately on elections. Go find me one. Can't do it. OK, so I'm thinking about what I want to buy. I'm not thinking about, oh, no, are we going to get volatility because of two Senate seats in Georgia? I'm just not there mentally. I love it. I don't really <laughs> think people should be. I love it that you've taken the conversation that direction. So tell me, Josh, you tell me what. Would you buy if there is this new volatility? Travel, travel, travel. I would travel stocks, travel stocks, entertainment stocks. That's what I want to buy. I don't want airplanes. I don't want companies with massive fixed costs and lots of debt. Those equities can work. Not interested. I want Expedia. I want Booking Holdings. I want Live Nation. I want Madison Square Garden. I want companies that benefit from the absolute explosion in travel the undeniable explosion in travel that will characterize the summer through the end of this year. The stocks are already anticipating it 
but I would argue not quite enough. There's a lot of upside. I'm looking at Expedia specifically. I'm looking at Live Nation. Don't own either. If they rock those stocks because of an election outcome, I am a buyer. Expedia, we're looking at that now. Uh, I know that you hold Uber. I don't know if you think of Uber in that same category, though, if you do travel. you I do. Uh, yeah, I, I thought you might, which, by the way, was named a top 2021 pick over at Needham today. And, Tiff, I'm going to get to you in just Going a second because I know you, you own it as well. But, but that's on the list. You're not getting business travel back this year. You'll get a bounce. You're not getting 2019 levels of business travel. I would argue you may eclipse 2019, second half 2019 levels of travel in the second half of uh, 2021. That is absolutely a thing that can happen because of how pent up. Uh, so there are a lot of ways to play it. Casinos, hotel chains. I, I don't know what's going to be the best. I know the way that I specifically want to want to play it. Um, and and that's those are the names that I'm I'm following and, and looking for. And God, I hope they knock this market down. Do it. All right, Tiff. Um, put all that into perspective. You know, you, you can tell me what you think about. I know you own Uber, but the, mm-hmm. the broad view of, of what Josh had to say yep. and sort of where you think we are right now. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I agree with Josh 100 percent. I am not making um, investment uh, overall portfolio decisions based on um, uh, election results for tomorrow. Um, I do think that um, and and what I am doing is looking for opportunities um, it, with with volatility to buy the things that I'm that that I already have conviction around that I already love at a lower price. Um, so all the stocks that I talk about, um, the purples, the apples, bought some more apple yesterday, um, all, all of those kind of like usual suspects that I like, um, whenever they're on sale, I like to buy them. Uh, and I am a long term investor, just like Josh. And so I'm not looking at, you know, clearly I'm looking at the market every single day, but I'm not, you know, judging a stock by how it performs one, two or three days um, based on a single event. But I do think um, with with the Georgia elections, it's very interesting. I think, you know, long term, if the Dems are able to come in and kind of win that majority, uh, I think that's going to mean um, good things for or legislation around climate change. That's a big thing right now. So in the ESG scope, I think that's going to be significant. Um, I do think that um, you know, yes, there's a tax implication, but I think for the majority of Americans, they don't make that much money for them to really, really, um, you know, feel uh, those uh, um, potential tax increases. Um, I think that there will probably be, um, you know, most likely be another round of stimulus, which will um, affect uh, most Americans. So I'm thinking about all of those things and ultimately affect um, spending and GDP. Well, I mean, um, you, but in terms of what I'm buying, you're, you're okay? forgive me one second. Mm-hmm. I mean. I hear what you're saying, and, and, and I think part of the Barclays note today about gridlock, the most likely outcome, even if the Democrats win the Senate, you do have to take into consideration, you're speaking of a personal, uh, a change in the personal tax code. Let's not forget that the president-elect has oh, talked about taking the, the corporate. corporate rate up to 28%, yeah. right? So if you're going to have to new yeah. and different corporate rate, you're going to have a, the potential of new and different earnings, and that raises the issue of new and potentially different stock prices. So I just want to make sure we're on the same page Absolutely. about you know, what, yep. what's apples yep. and oranges, yep. part, partly yep. as well. well but noted. Are, yeah. are, are, you, are, we saying, yeah. are we saying also, though, that we want to start making rotations from the kinds of stocks that have worked during the pandemic to the Josh Brown stocks that mm-hmm. he thinks are going to work on the other side of the pandemic? 
So um, <laughs> markets are doing that. <laughs> Absolutely not. So so well 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 yes, but see so. What I bought during the pandemic were, were not these stay-at-home stocks, right? So I, I want to kind of get out of this conversation about stay-at-home versus reopen. And I think, I'm think i thinking about this in a more broader sense. So, you know, some of the companies that I bought during the pandemic were not because they were stay-at-home stocks. Like, I bought Lulu because it has strong management and it's innovative, right? I like companies that are that are kind of utilizing technology, not your average <coughs> uh, or your, your obvious tech stocks, but companies that are using technology to... Um, to 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 make their businesses more effective. So those are the things that I like. I don't, and I'm not thinking in terms of sectors. I'm thinking in terms of individual names, in terms of game changers and disruptors. So when you when you kind of follow. Um, you know, Josh's reasoning, I do like the travel stocks, but I, you know, I, I, I like Marriott, bought some more Marriott um, yesterday. I do like um, Live Nation. I put Airbnb in that category, too, for, for a number of reasons, because in, in a lot of markets, it's a less expensive way to travel to um, in, instead of like uh, hotels. So um, I, I agree with Josh um, with, with, with most of what he's saying. Yeah. But it's John. not like a switch to, you know, what we were buying before and now, you know, Josh's picks. I think that there are some underlying themes there that work. Yeah. You know, on Airbnb, it got downgraded today. Uh, John Najarian at Atlantic Equities. They go to neutral from overweight, mm-hmm. right? The stock had that explosion off of the IPO. And, it, you know, you can certainly fit that into the tra- travel category. You have a different take on this on this conversation about what to do with the I know you said DocuSign, but what to do with those names? And if now, I mean, if the market is pushing towards these recovery stocks and the travel stocks, like Josh mentioned, is it time to really have a, a bigger rotation there? Um, that time for me, Judge, was four months ago. I mean, I started that rotation a long time ago. I said, roaring 20s, here we come. Um, you know, you were able to pick up just as Steph did. Uh, she bought Win. I bought Win. I bought uh, Melco Crown, obviously, uh, play in China, not in the United States. But I also own MGM, DraftKings, and Penn. I think a lot of those reopening plays work. I own a couple of the airlines. I think they work. Cruise lines, yeah. So uh, if, if you're just doing it now, are you going to get hammered for it? I don't think so. I think you'll do fine. But I think the doubling, the 2x, uh, has already come through, Scott. Um, and that was, you know, when you buy them, when there was that blood in the street still, when people were so concerned. As we get the rollout of the vaccines, they'll be steadier. And I think you'll be able to do exactly what Tiffany said. I think Airbnb is exactly right uh, as far as a play going forward. You already know I like Sabre, which is kind of a lot of the software behind a lot of the booking programs and things like that, whether it's for rental cars, airlines, hotels, all that kind of stuff. I, I think that trade works. But I think that the uh, tough decision was several months ago. The easier decision now that we've got the rollout of the vaccines with more to come, obviously not just mRNA, sorry, Scott, uh, not just those vaccines, but the others with Johnson & Johnson, with AstraZeneca and so forth. I think that's going to make it a lot better, a lot quicker. And by the way, the reason we had such a slow rollout, I think, was we've had so many days of disruption from the, you know, holiday season, Scott. I think you'll see a much faster rollout of the vaccine going forward. We'll see. I mean, we sure as heck hope. That, that's for sure. Yeah. Look, we, we asked all of you for your top picks for, for 2021, and we went through some of those yesterday with the, the committee members who were on. I want to do the same today with those of you who are here for the first time in the new year. Stephanie Link, 
Broadcom, United Pacific, those are your two top picks for 2021. Why? Yeah, Broadcom, and I've owned it for, for quite a while, but I like the end markets that they have exposure to data center, cloud, 5G. I love what they're doing in terms of M&A, and they're buying more software, which should help margins. They're paying down debt, and you get a 3.3% dividend. Union Pacific is a complete reopened stock. Absolutely. You have to have the vaccine. Um, but I do believe that you are going to get the vaccine. I don't know if it's second quarter or third quarter, but that will lead to better economic activity, like I just mentioned before. And this is going to help the rails and rail volume. And by the way, freight volume has actually been up in the last 14 straight weeks in a row. The stock has lagged the market. The stock has lagged its peers because the COO left suddenly. I still think there's a lot of overhead that they can improve upon and get an operating ratio of 55% over time. And you'll see a lot of operating leverage as a result. So this may take a little while to work, Scott, but I do like it. And I do like the existing management team in place. Josh, you mentioned Live Nation, so we don't have to do that one again. But CrowdStrike has been a name that you've owned for a while, and you're still sticking with it as one of your top plays for the year. It's one of my top plays for the next decade. I think we have to stop using the term um, work from home when it comes to companies like CrowdStrike. Cybersecurity is, like, in, my, in my view, one of the biggest priorities for Fortune 500 companies and then small businesses. Everyone is digitizing. Everyone is moving more of their people away from the main office for good. It's, it's not going to go back to the way it used to be. Endpoint security on all these devices is critical. And having a network that detects threats and reacts in real time, having mitigation of the sort that is necessary when you see something like what went on with solar winds, guess who they called? They called CrowdStrike, okay? So this is a secular trend masquerading as a work-from-home trend. Throw the work-from-home thing out. This company is a category killer, eating share, total addressable market is massive, the threat has never been bigger. Russia, China, homegrown, hacking, it's, it's like the way to play it. So I'm all in on CrowdStrike personally. I really think this is going to be a name that works not only in 2021, 20, but throughout the uh, 2020s decade. I mean, I guess the only thing I would say about Live Nation is you don't think that a, a lot of the move in, in all of the kinds of names that you mentioned is already in the stocks which have anticipated all of the good news and the pent-up demand that you said? No. Why not? I mean, a lot of them have, have had big uh, moves, right? Go, go, go back and look what they spent this year doing, slashing, like, billions and billions out of their cost structures because they were forced to, um, and simultaneously raising dirt cheap financing, either in the form of equity, in the case of Live Nation, uh, or in the form of debt, in the case of uh, some of the airlines. Some of the, they, they have put themselves in a position where once they're back to normalized operations, which again, I don't think happens until the second half of this year, you start to really get that sense that they can get there. But once they're there, they're going to have much leaner um, cost situations and much better financial position, much better balance, balance sheet strength. So it's actually something that they were forced into doing. The environment provided the opportunity for them to have done that. And now they emerge as even stronger companies, even more digital with even lower costs. So I don't think that most of the potential upside is in all of these stocks. No, not at all. Okay. Um, I'm glad you, you, you gave us that, that, uh, 
that thought. All right, uh, John Najarian, Apple, which uh, you've long liked, so we don't have to discuss a, a lot about that. But Alibaba is an interesting one. Um, tell me about that, right? That's been in the news a lot lately. The stock had, had come down. And be careful. The, the stock had come down. Uh, you know, I know there's been a lot of thought lately about Jack Ma, Faber, you know, breaking some news on that today, at, at saying, that, you know, in fact, Jack Ma's not missing. He's just laying low um, in, in Faber's words. Yep. But why Alibaba for 2021, Doc? Well, um, I'm just going to hit Apple real quick, Scott, with the thing that we don't talk about about Apple. App Store, $72 billion in the App Store, Scott. I mean, you can look across the S&P 500 and try to scrounge up some companies that do $72 billion in, in, in any of their businesses. This is amazing. So back to uh, Alibaba and Jack Ma. I think that uh, Jack Ma was brought to task by the uh, Communist Party in China. Um, I think they really want to rein him in and or any dissent in China. That goes, of course, to Hong Kong. We've seen how that plays out. I'm certainly not a fan of that. But when you put that stock on sale from $320, $330 down to $210 or whatever the bottom was just a couple weeks ago, Scott, we started to see people loading the boat with calls down there at 216 in the stock. Hmm. Now it's moved up back up into the 230s. Today, they're buying aggressively buying uh, big lots of options that expire one, two, and three months into the future. So does this one retrace all the way back to 330? It does. I don't know how long that takes, Scott. But I think in the short term in particular, short term being three to six months, I think this one gets to about 275, 280 bucks. This is, I think, a great spot to be in in the first half of this year, given what they've just done to these Chinese stocks. And now the reversal over at the New York Stock Exchange. They weren't threatening to delist BABA. Uh, Those were the communication stocks like China Mobile, China Telecom. But this one will benefit from people reassessing how uh, draconian measures could be foisted upon them here domestically, not just from China, Scott. Tiff, Apple's on your list just like Doc, but also Ulta. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, you may have to be a girl to get this one, uh, Scott. So just just walk, just uh, rock with me for a second. So, you know, if, if, if you're buying makeup, right, which Ulta is is a uh, makeup store, you're either buying makeup from um, from Sephora or Ulta. Right. And so, you know, Sephora is um, is one of the houses of um, of uh, uh, LVMH. Right. So that's a whole different story. So you're stuck with Ulta. Right. And so it's very it's, it's doing um, I, I like all the positioning. I like how they have, you know, really kind of pivoted to um, digital sales during this pandemic. It really shows kind of this 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 forward thinking love the products. And then, you know, in a pinch or a pandemic, you also might buy buy makeup at Target. And so, you know, lo and behold, Ulta strikes a deal with Target to have these Ulta mini stores in Target. I love, love, love that idea. Um, so that's and and I like it for the long term. I've owned it for a while. I've bought more during the pandemic um, when when it kind of dipped down and, and had um, these great these great buying opportunities. And I'm going to continue to kind of add the, add to the position. I mentioned also, you know, the street has made some of their top pick calls today, too. I, I'm going to stay with you, Tiff. Um, your, your green juice aside mm-hmm. that you're always tweeting about. Um, we'll leave yes. that aside. Boston <laughs> beer. Boston beer uh, yeah. remains the best idea. And t- I'll rather talk about Boston beer than your green juice. Best idea yeah. at okay. Guggenheim yeah. and their top growth pick, which, yeah. which you own. I, I, 
yeah, and, and you know, we've owned it for a while, and these were, you know, um, Boston Beer Company, who makes uh, Sam Sam Adams, was one of kind of like these break, these kind of like breakaway stocks that people were talking about as these so-called stay-at-home stocks. I just think it's a steady stock. You know, apparently people were at home drinking beer, and that's great, but I think that that's going to continue. Um, so, so you know, I own it, and I'm going to be looking for, you know, any, um, you know, uh, volatility right. to, to be able to buy a little bit more. So, Steph, you know, they've got some housing calls here, too. D.R. Horton was named the top home builder pick at Bank of America. John, I know you owned it. Steph, you previously owned it. I'll come to you first because of this idea of, of selling down some of your housing exposure. And on that note, Pulte gets downgraded to the equivalent of a sell and underperform at Bank of America as well. So give me your view there on, on DRI. And then, Doc, I'm going to take you on that because you still own that stock. I mean, okay. it's a great management company, but I was up 50 percent in the name. And I do worry as interest rates creep higher, how, how much better can it get in terms of the, the lending environment? And I also do worry in general that we are kind of peakish. Look, affordability is, is really um, it's, it's hurting right now. Um, and I do think that uh, the earnings estimates are probably peak. And so I'd rather buy something like a Stanley Black & Decker that I get I get home exposure. They have Home Depot and Lowe's in terms of exposure. It's 30% of their tools business. But they also have a kind of a reopen theme to them in terms of industrial and energy exposure and infrastructure. So I'm just trying to be a little bit more creative, taking gains where I have them and trying to find other areas. Um, again, I, I do think that the easy money has been made in homes, uh, in home builders in particular. But this is a great company. This is a company that if it fell 15, 20%, I probably would buy it back. But I made good money. And, and you, you know, you can't apologize for taking a profit. Understood. Doc, you own it. You know, so how do you, do you counter? Do you, you counter the idea that, that a lot of these housing stocks have, have made the, 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 the money that's going to be made, or at least a good portion of it? Um, well, uh, you know, I, I love following Steph, uh, and I, I think that uh, there's a reason that I also, Scott, have lightened up pretty significantly in many of the home builders. I was long four of them. Um, now I'm only long one. So that should tell you a little something. I'm still able to get and generate um, somewhere in the 8% range every 60 days from writing calls against uh, the, uh, Horton and so forth. So that's one of the reasons that I continue to hold it here and carried it over into the new year. I was able to get more premium out of that one than out of some of the others. Um, but I, I like Rocket Mortgage. I talked about that one, what, the 29th of December at 20 bucks. It's still roughly right there. I think the, the people that are going to be refinancing, Scott, as well as some of the sales of those inflated prices that Steph referenced, and she's correct, but some of those inflated prices, they're going to be buying mortgages, Scott. Rocket is one of the best places for that, and I think that the Rocket companies are well positioned. So I'd rather own rock if you if you know if i had to be like this scott yeah, i'd rather own rocket than any of the home builders right now but i own just one home builder and rocket okay all right good stuff thank you coming up cnbc's jim kramer revealing his 10 investment themes for 2021 committee ready to weigh in next we're back in two minutes 
Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. In Chicago, the head of the public school system there says more than half of teachers failed to show up to work yesterday. The Chicago Teachers Union has said that the school's COVID precautions were inadequate and some teachers would not go into work. The Cleveland Browns will play their first playoff game since 2002 without head coach Kevin Stefanski. Stefanski has tested positive for the coronavirus along with two other coaches and two players. The U.K. is reporting a record number of new COVID-19 cases for three of the last four days. Tuesday's tally broke above 60,000 even as new lockdown measures take effect in England and also in Scotland. And in Norway, rescuers say they have given up hope of finding three people still missing following last week's massive landslide. Seven people have been found dead. You are up to date. That's the news update this hour. Scott, I'll send it back to you. OK, Sue, thank you very much. Our Jim Cramer unveiling his top investable themes for 2021 and beyond. There they are. Among them, wealth management, where he names Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley as his top picks in that space. Okay. Goldman and Morgan Stanley. Tiffany owns Goldman Sachs. Stephanie Link owns Morgan Stanley. Stephanie Link, you first. I love Morgan Stanley. I love what the CEO and team are doing in terms of the M&A strategy, diversifying their revenue stream. They bought E-Trade. They bought Eaton Vance. So you have revenue and cost synergies there. They have a great capital markets business, an established wealth management business. So again, very diversified um, and not just dependent on a, on a steeper yield curve. But they will benefit if we do get a steeper yield curve. By the way, they announced a $10 billion buyback most recently that they'll start this quarter. And uh, it trades at 12 times earnings and you get about a 2% dividend yield as well. So it's one of my favorites. I haven't been adding to it. I've been adding to Wells Fargo, but I do really like uh, Morgan Stanley a lot. You know, the Goldman pick um, that Jim, you know, has as one of his top Wolf names top pick there as well. Uh, Here's Mike Mayo on on Goldman Sachs this year. Quote, we expect Goldman stock to surpass its all time high soon. And it remains our top near term recommendation We've increased estimates twice in the past month, reiterate Goldman as our best short-term buy idea. So Goldman continues to get a lot of love. Morgan Stanley also named a top pick over at Wolf. Oh, by the way, Bank of America raised to outperform at Wolf. Steph, which you own. Dr. J, you've got Bank of America calls. And Tiffany, I'm coming to you because you own Goldman, you own Bank of America, you own JPM. Yep, I do. And I a thousand percent agree with the Goldman call. Um, you know, outside of strong management, uh, we, we definitely do like diversified financials. So we like the trading um, income. Uh, we like the um, investment banking income. And also from an ESG perspective, we love how Goldman has come out and said that they're not going to take companies public with at least um, one, you know, diverse person um, on the board. Um, we also really, you know, we also um, like Goldman Sachs funds. A lot of their, you know, portfolio management teams, um, really analyst teams are very, very strong and they weave ESG um, kind of metrics into their due diligence process. They're very thoughtful about that. So uh, we like them from, from an investment perspective um, to invest in the company. But we also like how they do business as well. Okay, Josh, you know, it sounds to me like you have a bit of a counter view on on this wealth management theme and the names that would thrive under whatever is happening in that space. Uh, So I just to like, like clarify what I'm trying to say, 
I would buy Goldman Sachs for a lot of reasons. Wealth management would not be one of them. Um, I don't think that there's a lot of organic wealth management growth outside of just market appreciation and acquisitions um, for the large Wall Street banks. Like, they are losing talent. They are not adding new high-powered advisors. Those advisors are leaving to go to firms like Hightower and Dynasty and set up their own businesses. But it doesn't really matter when you have a stock market that goes up 20% because they still get the benefit of the assets under management they have um, building off that higher base. So I think that um, the stock market has been great for the last five years, compounding at like high teens percent a year, even including last year, believe it or not. And that's masked a lot of the deterioration in the wealth management franchises. Now, Goldman's making good acquisitions. They bought United Capital, which, was, uh, a, which is now a crown jewel. So maybe they could turn that around. I think Goldman is breaking out, technically. So forget about everything I just said and just focus on price. The last time it traded where it, where it trades right now was February 2018, right at the onset of the trade war. And what we know happened from then on is that uh, spreads collapsed and, uh, and the twos and tens collapsed. We actually had a negative, had an inverted yield curve. All of that is now reversed. The Fed is going to spend this year sitting on that overnight rate, not raising it. In the meanwhile, longer-term bonds are for sale. Rates are rising further out the yield curve. You get that steepening. It's going to help all of these stocks. And I think Goldman will be one of the biggest beneficiaries. I think it does break out, makes a new high, probably gets above a $100 billion market cap once again. And I would be long. And I don't think you need wealth management organic growth in order for that to happen. Yeah. Highs of the day for shares of Goldman Sachs. By the way, these, these other themes on Jim's list, uh, CrowdStrike is on the cybersecurity list. Uber is on the travel and leisure list. So you guys are simpatico uh, in a lot of the ways that, that all of you are viewing the stocks that are going to do best in the months ahead. Coming up, the quarterly report is next. We're going to go through our experts' trades from the fourth quarter, see if they're sticking with them in 2021. So we'll go down that list. You can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half right after this. All right, fourth quarter 2020, it's obviously in the books. We want to take a look back, though, at our investment committee's quarterly winners and losers. It's our halftime quarterly report. Pulled the names, the best, the winners, the losers. We'll go through the top three for each or some of them at, at the very least, Doc. J.P. Morgan was up 32 percent in Q4. Rates had a nice move, OK? Yep. Um, Las Vegas Sands, BP. What do you do with these three stocks? Mm-hmm. You hold all three, Scott. I don't see a reason to get out of them. Um, in the case of J.P. Morgan, again, one of those great stocks that uh, people were railing about last year. Um, and it was just a fabulous opportunity as a hold to just keep piling those calls on here. But now that they can buy back shares, um, I think this is going to be a much better environment with the interest rates doing what they've done and most likely will continue to do. Las Vegas Sands, travel reopening play. We've already kind of beat that one pretty hard. And BP, uh, you know, are we going to see 65 or even 70 for uh, uh, Brent? We could. Or, or West Texas into those 60s as well? We could. And I think the reopening demand, they've worked through an awful lot of what would have been surplus um, and is now a very, very thin, Scott. So I think reopening when the vaccines roll out uh, in a bigger way, this one benefits big time. Yeah, big day for energy. Uh, obviously, oil getting to 50 
uh, for the first time since February, and energy was one of the leaders uh, today as well. How about Lager, Doc? We talked D.R. Horton already. Um, Abbott Labs mm -hmm. did nothing in the quarter, and Walmart was only up 3% yep. in, in the quarter. You know, obviously had a nice move ahead of that uh, in a pandemic play and things like that. What about now, though, for Walmart? Take that one exclusively for me. Okay. Um, that, that one, two of those retailers, of which I won't mention the other, Scott, <laughs> but Walmart, <laughs> um, I think that, that, that they have uh, brought to the masses the idea of uh, uh, owning a subscription product to get your uh, food and other things delivered to your house. Um, so this is one that I would also bet on to outperform. It's one of them that I haven't lightened up on at all. Love this stock. Okay. Stephanie Link, uh, you know, you've talked about a lot of your turnaround stories, and that's been a consistent theme of yours. <laughs> so GE had an incredible fourth quarter, up 73%. Materials did well as we start to look for the recovery. Freeport was up 66%. Wynn Resorts up 57, again, looking ahead to the recovery. Of those three, which stock are you most optimistic about for the year ahead, if not beyond? And tell me why. Just pick one of those three. That's really hard. Um, That's why I asked you, I, I would say GE. <laughs> I know. I would say GE. <laughs> Thank you. I would say GE, but I would say a close second is Win. And these are, yeah, they're reopening stocks for sure. But when the 737 MAX of Boeing got recertified, that is very positive for GE's aviation division because that's the profit driver. That's the free cash flow driver. And they need free cash to pay down debt. And that's what they're doing. And that's what a restructuring story is all about. New CEO comes in. They fix what's broken. They pay down debt. They get a cleaner balance sheet. And then all of a sudden you have new, a new crop of investors that are interested in buying the stock. So I like what Michael Cole the CEO is doing. He's really getting make, making some traction. He was making traction before the pandemic, by the way, and then the pandemic hit and then Boeing hit. So they had a lot to deal with. But I think that they've done a great, great job. And I think it's just beginning. OK, now of the laggards, um, I'm not going to ask you which one you're most optimistic about, because I know you love Salesforce. It's down 11 and a half percent in the fourth <laughs> quarter. That's I'm not going to we're not playing softball here, right? We're playing hardball. Air products uh, down 8% Zoetis flat. Of those three, which are you least optimistic about? Oh, geez. You're asking me really hard questions. Um, I would say Salesforce. And I will tell you that I have been trimming Salesforce, even though it, it did have a bad quarter. And, you know, my style is to buy the weakness, not to, not to sell the weakness. But, and I still like it long term. And I still have a position. And it's just smaller. But I prefer Broadcom. That's why I picked Broadcom as one of my favorite ideas for the year. But... Uh, you know, I've, of all three, my favorite is, is Air Products, and that one I was buying on weakness. It's in a duopoly. They have $7.7 .7 billion to deploy in terms of M&A over the next several years, and I really think they're going to continue to gain market share. Come on, I'm trying to recreate these conversations that you and Kramer used to have, right, when you're running the charitable trust, <laughs> right? They say, which of the three do you like best, Steph, and why? And you'd have to come up with the answer, I'm I sure. Know. In about five seconds. I know. I know, Jim. All right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Josh Brown, of the leaders, we've already talked CrowdStrike hey, did great. Yeah. Yeah. No. Who said that? What do we got? Oh, okay. Uh, you threw me for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Unity Software uh, was up 76% in the quarter. Tell our viewers about it if they don't remember why you own it, uh, what the company does, and what you think now after a 76% gain. 
Well, so Unity Software is a, a venture capital investment, so I own it pre-IPO. I'm actually restricted from, from selling it for the time being. Um, but I, I, I think why that stock has worked so well and hopefully will continue to work is because of the space it's in. There is nothing hotter uh, right now than video games, gaming in general. And what Unity does is two things. Number one, they make their own games, and they had some very, very popular games during the pandemic. Um, but number two, they provide the software tools for other game companies to make games. So it's like a, a double play on what's sure to be an industry where um, budgets are high, spending continues, uh, et cetera. So I like this name. I think they have very unique technology, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in it. Okay, what about the laggards, okay? Zoom had, a, had to come down, down 28%. Barrick Gold uh, down 19%. And NVIDIA was down 3.5%. Give me something on one of those stocks. Well, Bar- uh, Barrick's going to work because gold is starting to move higher again. Gold is the ultimate uh, weak dollar play other than Bitcoin these days. Um, I'm not like a gold guy, but uh, I recognize an uptrend when I see one. So that's that's that. What's the other one? Uh, Zoom. Zoom is probably uh, the toughest stock that I own right now just because of how it did in December. But I'm not concerned about it. I think long term they have built a franchise that could be extremely important. Uh, and uh, I think the best is yet to come. Now that they have all these users, they start to really monetize them. Corporate users, not just people doing kindergarten uh, on Zoom. So I'm, I'm sticking with that name, too. All right. Appreciate that. Thanks, everybody. Let's get to Leslie Picker now with a news alert. Hey, Les. Hey, Scott, we've uh, got some exclusive numbers uh, from a a source familiar with the matter uh, on Citadel's returns for 2020, hearing that their flagship Wellington uh, returned an estimated 24.4 percent for the year. Uh, They were up 2.6 percent. In December alone, that positive performance uh, came from all five of their uh, core strategies, including equities, fixed income, macro credit, commodities and quant strategies. This is their best performance in about eight years. In 2012, they returned over 25 percent. This performance also uh, beat the S&P 500 for the year, and it uh, follows 19.4 percent returns in 2019. Now, as a reminder, Citadel uh, is Ken Griffin's firm. They have about $34 billion in AUM. Scott, back over to you. All right, Leslie, thank you so much. Leslie Picker with that coming up. John has his unusual activity. We're back in just two minutes. Let's do the futures outlook now. Gold is hitting its highest level since early November. Let's bring in Bill Baruch, Brian Stutland. All right, gentlemen, happy New Year to you both. Stutz, tell me first, what's the trade? Well, I think two things are going on with gold here, Scott. And, and number one is M2 money supply. We continue to see outsized moves to the upside. We know it's increasing, but it's moving faster and faster to the upside. Why? I believe in them because they save lives. But it's not so good for fiat currency. That's why gold's getting a bid. And then, Scott, the other thing, you know, we're really in a sad state of affairs right now. The country is turning into a republic at best, maybe an authoritarian at worst. That's not good for the U.S. dollar. I don't think people like that. That's why we're seeing bids in gold and Bitcoin, other fiat currencies. Uh, Personally, I own Bitcoin. I like that a little better than gold. But I think you've got to make some way for the anti-fiat currency trade until we get things back to normal, until we get liberty back in this country like we once saw. Uh, and, and see a democratic true state. Bill Baruch. Thanks, Scott. 
You know, I was on here last Thursday. I've been on here a lot over over 2020. I love gold. I said on Thursday at 1900, just buy it. Get long gold. Uh, and we broke out above that trend line. We've been waiting for a uh, big rip higher to start the week. Now, there's a lot of things here at play, obviously. The U.S. dollar weakness, and then you got the Chinese yuan strength, and, and you got good seasonals. But one thing I haven't discussed is the, is the supply-demand technicals. And right now, the commitment of traders are showing a net long managed money position. These are the traders, the, the commodity funds, of only 108,000 contracts. The peak last year came in February, not on August, but it came in February, 240,000 contracts. This tells me there is a lot of room for the bulls to buy gold and take it to new record highs. Gentlemen, good to see you. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Final trades after this quick break. All right, welcome back. Josh Brown, I got something for you, okay? Famed value investor who I know you, you read a lot of his stuff, Jeremy Grantham, okay? Quote, the long, long bull market since 2009 has finally matured into a full-fledged epic bubble featuring extreme overvaluation, explosive price increases, frenzied issuance, and hysterically speculative investor behavior. I believe this event will be recorded as one of the great bubbles of financial history, right along with the South Sea bubble, 1929 and 2000. People are snarky on Twitter about this, this call. I get it, okay? Um, but what do you think about what Mr. Grantham is saying, what he wrote in the last few days? Well, he says it every year. So I have a lot of respect for uh, Mr. Grantham and the discipline process at GMO. But quite frankly, they aren't making investors money and haven't been for a long time. Uh, their assets have been cut in half since 2015. They refuse to uh, accept the fact that stocks are being valued on something other than what they were being valued based on 100 years ago. Um, and that's been costly. So uh, look, he's He's the guy that saw in advance the, the dot-com blow-up and arguably the 2008 blow-up. But even if you had ridden a portfolio through that, a diversified portfolio, 60-40, 50-50, you were still better off than having jumped out ahead of those things and then listened to GMO ever since and missed all of the upside now. So I think it's like an investment philosophy question. Do you really believe that somebody can reliably know when to sell and then right. when to get back in? Most people can't do it. GMO clearly can't do it. So if, if that's in your philosophy, then this is meaningful to you. Um, and if it's not, then you just accept the fact. Yeah. One day the market will top give, and it'll be painful. Give me a quick, we don't know when that will everybody be. Everybody just give me a name before we go. Josh, go first, then Tiffany, John, and Steph. Go ahead, Josh. I'm sticking with Uber this year. I think it's going to have a good year. Tiff? Nextair Energy, Clean Energy. John? Boeing. Steph? Halliburton Oil Service. All right, good stuff. Thanks for watching. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. 
We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.